0: Imagine you're on an airplane. Suddenly, the man across the aisle from you winces and begins to clutch his chest. As the flight attendant asks whether there's a doctor on board, a tall, confident stranger walks up and talks to the ailing gentleman. The doctor hands the gentleman an iPhone and asks him to hold it for a few moments. The doctor then announces he's just performed an ECG and that the gentleman has just had a cardiac arrest and needs immediate medical attention upon landing. That vignette has actually played out in real life, not once, but twice, for Dr. Eric Topol, whom you met on this show last summer. But where did that incredible device come from? Hello, and welcome to DataPoint, the podcast about all the ways that data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare today. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest today is Dr. Dave Albert. Dave is a cardiologist and one of the inventors of that device, known today as the AliveCore Cardia Mobile. And that single-lead mobile ECG that changed the game back in 2012 is now a six-lead model that's supported by over seven years of research via 86 clinical papers. Listen and learn from the man whom many refer to as the father of digital health, Dr. Dave Albert. Dave, thanks so much for being with us on Datapoint today. Well, thank you, Greg, for inviting me. I have been excited about doing this interview for a long time. I, uh, I mentioned in the pre-interview I had to warm up with people like Tobol before I felt competent to be able to talk to uh, uh, the, the father or, uh, as, I, as I now know, the grandfather of digital health. Uh, so glad to be here with you.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, Eric uh, is also a grandfather and a, and a close friend, so uh, we're both kind of grandfathers of digital health. I, 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 I'm honored to be in his company.
0: In fact, I think one of the first times that I became aware of a core was uh, when he had his first of what I understand are multiple incidents of actually using a uh to diagnose a patient on an airplane uh, yeah, back don't in fly what, 2012 with or so.
1: Yeah, the lesson is don't fly with Eric, so- uh, he's he diagnosed with a heart attack and a patient with atrial fibrillation on airplanes. Uh, and so I know that whenever I, I'm, I'm traveling to a heart meeting and I know he's going to be there, I want to find out what plane he's on so I'm not on.
0: <laughs> exactly. So the way I love to do this show, Dave, is I, before we dive into the work and sort of your vision for the future, I'd love to take a quick look back um, at some of the milestones that really pointed you in this direction. I know you've been working in this space for a long time. Uh, AliveCore was not your first digital health company, but can you give us sort of a, a, a brief history of how did you come to found this innovative company?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, well, it goes all the way back to 1995, what I would call the Jurassic period of the internet <laughs> and of wireless data uh and i had a company called data critical that later went public and was acquired by ge healthcare in 2001 and and i had this idea that portable computing devices and wireless data where we had cables and cell phones and all kinds of things i i saw the opportunity that these could create a straight line a straight line being the the fastest way to get between two points and the two points were a patient to a doctor and how could we get critical information directly from a patient to a doctor and portable you know, computing, things like Palm Pilots and cellular modems. Uh, so so we built a prototype and we actually uh, at, at, at Data Critical got a 510K and got a patent on that technology mm-hmm. and never introduced it commercially because it was a kludge. You could, if you, it looked like something from Rube Goldberg, you know. It, 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 Kind of like the early days of wearable computing. If you ever followed the MIT early days, these people had these headsets and these backpacks. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like that. But but the idea was sound. It was just, uh, as Silicon Valley says, to be early is to be wrong. And of I was course. just way early. So later, G bought my company, and uh, I left after being chief scientist to G Cardiology. And and in 2007, Steve Jobs introduced you know, the one more thing and comes back and mm-hmm. uses the iPhone to which Steve Ballmer and the, uh, at time, CEO of Nokia said, that's a joke. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, right. and, and then 18 months later, they opened the app store and they opened the platform. And so I got a couple of partners of mine who I'd known for a long time in the medical device cardiology business, and we built the first prototype. And uh, the rest is kind of history. I, I, on December 30th, 2010, I went in. I was getting ready to go to the Consumer Electronics Show to show these new cool prototype. It was an Mm -hmm. iPhone four case, and I went in and I made a four minute unscripted video, and I uploaded it because my nine year old who did Nerf gun modification videos had taught me how to do that. He's (laughs) a sophomore at Harvard now. He's six foot two, but then he was nine, and and I just happened as I was uploading it to click share with your LinkedIn connections. There was a button. And I had about 300 LinkedIn connections. I have 9,000 LinkedIn connections right now, but I had 300 at the time. I wasn't on Twitter. I I had Facebook, maybe two people. And so I went home thinking nothing. 24 Mm -hmm. hours later, my partner who helped develop it, who lives in Australia, calls me in the middle of the night, which was the middle of the day for him, and said, mate, what did you do? What do you mean what did I do? He says, you got 150,000 views of that video. Wow. Uh, What? And later I was called by Good Morning America, Fox and Friends. And when I went to CES, I was tracked down, including by Apple. They met with me three times in 24 hours. And I was on Fox and Friends at literally four in the morning because that was seven in the morning in New York. And Good Morning America. I had to get up at, you know, one. uh, I don't know that I went to sleep. (laughs) It was crazy, and and then after that, I was contacted by venture capitalists and by General Electric, and then ultimately the next, you know, Qualcomm became an early investor, and then the next CES, I'm standing in a Qualcomm booth at a little kiosk, and this guy comes up to me and goes, "You're Dave Albert," and I go, "Yeah," and I said, "I think I know you, aren't you Venut Kosla?" He goes, "Yes," he said, "I'd like to see me," and he's chairman of our board now, and so. uh, you know, that was the beginning. I, Eric Topol had called me and and it, it became, uh, I would say it was almost an accidental venture. That's and, amazing. Um, you know, again, 86 peer reviewed publications, about 25 patents later. Uh, the first venture capitalists gave me a term sheet, I will not say who they were, had, had went out and uh, had a patent lawyer look and I have 66 issued U.S. patents. And they said, you're never going to get these patents. Well, I got every one of them. And they wow. turned me down. And today, I let them take me out at J.P. Morgan. <laughs> Drinks are on them. Because, and they, they shake their head and go, well, you know, some, you win some, you lose some. I go, I get it. You know, we're all human. Well, most of us, that is. Um, and so, I, you know, that's just, it's, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, it's yeah. been a... You know, it's an overnight success.
0: Ten years in the making. Exactly, like most overnight successes, right? Um, exactly. Right. Let me let me dive into something that you said because it really it blew my mind then and it still does. When you launched that first generation of a LiveCore product, it was it was as though we went instantly from carving canoes to a battleship. The leap was so enormous. To go where you went how can you tell talk, talk, tell the listeners anything about that process like I know Remember, you, get, you see years, the iPhone and well it was 15 years before I'd had this
1: idea 15 years earlier wow and and you know by the way we licensed the patents that were then owned by General Electric we licensed them uh, and we, we finished paying royalties and things that's all done but they're they're uh, you know, it, 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 good friends, let's put it that way. They're good friends. And and I'd had the idea 15 years before, it just wasn't practical. And then suddenly, I guess, it, you know, being old and, and liking to put things together, I said, wait a sec, this makes the idea practical. It was a good idea then, it's a really good idea now. And that was such a groundbreaking product. I, I have to tell you an anecdote related to it. So when my video went, went, went viral, which it did, And I had to do a TEDx video on virality, which is really an interesting subject today. You have an ncov, and I said, as a physician, I was raised that you know, viral epidemics are really bad things. But now we've learned that that going viral and and a global viral epidemics, pandemics are not necessarily bad things when they are idea pandemics as opposed to viral uh, virus pandemics. And so you know, we learned as we went the 2010 was really early days of digital health oh yeah and and i would go to medical meetings and get up and inevitably i would have a cardiologist raise their hand and say but this is just a one lead ecg Mm
0: -hmm.
1: this is not a 12 lead ecg and not everybody has the vision that eric topol did and he saw the value immediately and and i would immediately respond yes how many leads does an implantable defibrillator and an automatic external defibrillator need to figure out it's going to save your life? And they'd sit there and go one, and then they just sit down. Mm-hmm. And maybe. so i that was a pretty good retort, by the way. I, I used it multiple times. And, and to, of course, today we have a six lead ECG. So we're happy right. to the 12 lead. And, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I know where I'm going, but I, we don't talk about futures at life, live but but we have a six lead ECG. It, it was our, it wasn't our response to Apple. It was just we had it, it was coming, and, yeah. And, uh, and it it is it has many many new applications and many many new diseases. So I can just tell you, this has been an evolution, and we've been fortunate enough to have patient investors, the likes mm. of Node Kosla, Qualcomm, Amron, Mayo Clinic, people who have who are in it for the long term, who are not in it for a quick win, who believe. And understand now that 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 we've done something unique and that that battleship you talked about overnight was was wasn't overnight it was again it was 15 years in making that overnight transition it just so happened that finally we weren't early anymore okay at least as far as the technology we were early as far as clinical adoption was concerned right today we're not so every major medical center uses a live core but but back then, so we had to survive across that chasm. And so it's been a series of chasm, chasm crossings. And, and I, feel, I feel very blessed that we've crossed them.
0: So let's, uh, let's talk about something else that you mentioned. You referenced the 86 published studies. Um, talk to me about the way that you've approached research. Uh, with the device? Where does it fit into the business plan? How much of that are you driving versus, you know, how much are you just enabling uh, based on the, you know, the desires of others to to probe the limits?
1: Sure. Well, I think it started with me driving because Mm -hmm. the first thing we did, it's an interesting anecdote, that in the beginning, uh, I'd been working with at at the University of Oklahoma Division of Cardiology for uh, since 1980, since I was a medical student. I was a summer summer uh, student there, and and so I went to my friends, and we did a fifty five person uh, clinical validation study at the Oklahoma City VA Hospital. Went through all the rigmarole takes to do that, but we did it, and we presented it at the Heart Rhythm Society in in uh, two thousand and and ten as a late breaker. It was an innovation. It was really cool, and uh, what I will tell you is. We embraced the notion that we're going to get validation and acceptance through clinical research and proof. And mm-hmm. and and because we were new, remember the battleship? We had people yep. and I know all these people. I suddenly was inundated by people wanting to use this new device to do research. Like we mentioned earlier, the Healthy Heart Study
0: yep. and,
1: and Jeff Olgan and Greg Marcus at UCSF. They were early users. Uh, in an in, in ongoing, that's still ongoing. And now, you know, I, you can name almost any major healthcare institution here in Canada, in the UK, around the world that have published. We just had a first published study in, Nor- in South Korea that are wow. utilizing a live core, uh, in, in in different clinical applications. And so we've been blessed that, you know, I got a lot of friends and that this was an innovative product. Something I taught, I teach, when I'm asked to lecture about digital health and how do you go about this? Because again, many digital health entrepreneurs don't really understand what it takes in terms of clinical validation and acceptance. Sure. Uh, I say that it's, first of all, it's good to be me and be old. Uh, <laughs> but the second thing is, is if you have something really unique that people will do research, maybe not for free, but, but they'll do it at what i call a low cost. Right. If you get got the fifth me too, then you're gonna have to write a big check, and that usually mm-hmm. is what What happened for us is I did that study. We presented the abstract. We went to get our first five ten k, and it took seventy days because I had published <laughs> clinical validation. I mean that people can't believe that it, it, yeah 2012 seventy days, and it that's what sounds it like you're
0: missing a zero somewhere.
1: Yeah, well it, they they were blown out because you're, you know statutorily it's ninety days, and we were twenty days early. It, it's, and, and we've done that time and time again. We go to the FDA with published clinical data, and it's, it, it serves us well. And so validate so, first, sell second, and do not lead with a press release.
0: Yep. Okay, so that's a great place to stop. We're going to take a quick break here, but we are going to be right back on Datapoint with Dr. Dave Albert. All right, we are back on DataPoint. Our guest today is Dr. Dave Albert. Dave, when we went into the break, you had just made a pretty profound point, which was really that clinical research always needs to lead. It's not lead with a press release. It's not lead you know, with uh, a fishing expedition trying to, to generate a bunch of money uh, from, from investors until you've proven your point. I wanted to talk a little bit more about that because I think... Uh, The FDA has certainly had its challenges in terms of being able to respond to the flood of digital health applications out there. Uh, And so many companies really avoid that approval process like the plague. Tell me about why you knew it was going to be important to you and why you led with that study. What's wrong with, you know, throwing out a press release and, uh, you know, a spray and pray?
1: Well, I mean, if you've got a new email app, it's just fine. But when you have a healthcare solution, I, I have a, a saying, human beings here handle with care. Mm. Uh, you know, EKG devices are class two medical devices and have been for 70 years around the world. I mean, the, the, the new version of an FDA clearance only happened in the early 1970s. Mm. Uh, and, and what we know today, the 510K process, But the reality is, accuracy. there are international standards that you need to meet, that you need to prove you meet. There's a little different methodology in the United States with the FDA than there is in Europe or in other countries where the CE mark is accepted. Uh, But they all mean the same things. Safety and efficacy are the two goals. You have to show safety and you have to show efficacy. And so I think that's, nobody, needs to, nor should, take your word for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, me saying something is good is not good enough. I want independent, non-vested experts saying it's good. And, and that's because it's, it's healthcare. You know, we, there's an old saying, I don't know, you're old enough, but you know, there used to be TV ads for dentine gum. Dentine gum, recommended by dentists, nine out of 10 dentists who chew gum most dentists didn't chew gum so they had that figured out <laughs> long ago before there was sure all this gum. Um, the fact is you know this is still healthcare. this is still mm-hmm. people's lives are engaged and so uh you know i think that's that's the reason we need to lead because your your audience is not just a consumer not every consumer right. is a patient but every patient is a consumer And so we at LifeCore have a unique position. We we sell through consumer channels a absolutely regulated healthcare device Mm -hmm. that is utilized by leading physicians globally. And and in in order to bridge that divide, we had to prove to both sides that it's good. And and I can tell you more than 50% of our devices are bought on the recommendation of a cardiologist. Wow. So they, they say, go get in the live core because that'll be the easiest, cheapest, fastest way for me to help manage you and to make sure you're doing well. And so uh, that I think, you know, I, I wear that badge with
0: pride. Absolutely. As you, as, as you should, I mean, that it really is a, it's a pretty remarkable uh, statistic. And actually I'd like to follow that up. I think I may want to come back to clinical research, but let's talk about, Adoption for a minute, um, you know. Again, one of the things that I think a lot of uh, digital health or health tech companies have struggled with is that you know their thing, whatever it is, produces a lot of data that, if it was you know provided in some useful format and in some reasonable context, could be useful to treating physicians. But usually, those things don't happen. How can you talk about how physicians are using a live core and why it is that they would recommend it to their patients?
1: Yeah, sure. The um depends on the on the clinical condition. I'll give you two examples. Okay. One is um the Cleveland Clinic, and this has been presented publicly. I'm not giving out any confidential information. Uh, but at the Cleveland Clinic, post atrial fibrillation ablation patients. Mm are told to give an a the live core. They're connected directly into a physician portal we call CardioPro. And the, the, every time there's a virtual visit, and they do virtual visits, so post you know, six months after the ablation, video conference, the doctors are able to review serial ECGs and can see what's the patient in sinus rhythm, did they go back into AFib? And it gives them a longitudinal view, long-term, of, the right. condition of their patient. Do we need to do anything new? Do we need to change medicines? How's everything going? And so that's one application. Another application is a diagnostic one.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: a young woman comes in with a complaint of palpitations and they're given the normal diagnostic ambulatory ECG tests. They can go anywhere from 10 days, two weeks to a month, nothing because those symptoms don't manifest but once every several months. Right. So those patients are told, go get a live cord. And when you feel your symptoms, record it and send it to me. And they record, in many instances, what, what's called PSVT, paroxysmal supraventricular tachycardia, which can, in many instances, also be treated with an ablation and cured, cured, done. Never need to come back. And wow. so we have many, many, many examples of that. And so and- whether it's diagnostic or patient management, a live cord is utilized by different doctors uh, to help take care of their patients. In a and so in either
0: one of those, community. yeah, absolutely. Um, in either one of those cases, is the data actually then, does that become a part of the patient's medical record? Not to get too technical, but I would well, think that, can, that would be yeah. a useful thing.
1: Well, wait, I mean, we have, we have exactly that. And so we have several institutions. There's this company called Epic that seems to have a fairly decent market share of large <laughs> uh, healthcare organizations. We many of my many, listeners
0: may have heard of that one.
1: Yeah, we have many mutual customers, okay. so whether it's the Cleveland Clinic or St. Luke's in Kansas City or Cedar Sinai, where they take or scripts in, in, uh, in San Diego, La Jolla, where they take the PDF reports we generate and upload them into Epic and, and have we have in several instances, an interface on the epic desktop. So these are the kinds of challenges you have to have. It's, it, I, I think. your your audience might not be surprised that working and interfacing with Epic um, poses some epic challenges. Uh, But, um, you know, we've done it in several instances. It's not a seamless turnkey thing. And, you know, there may be some good reasons for that in terms of privacy, et cetera. But it is a challenge and and where it's needed and where it's asked for, uh, we address it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting as, as we're talking about this, I was thinking about the disruptive nature of what you're doing, but it occurs to me in the, at least in the two examples that you gave, a live core isn't really disrupting a process. You know, if someone is coming in to do a regular checkup, you know, it's still they they can hook them up to the 12 lead EKG and get the, you know, the data that that generates. What at that time, possible? but not last week or last month. Exactly. Or two months ago. But what's but what's possible with a live core is something that was just not possible before.
1: That that's right. And and uh, one other thing that I think we cannot emphasize enough: the other thing a live core does is bring some feeling of control to the patient. It mm-hmm. engages them. It's not just for doctors. A live course bought by patients, and I can tell you. We literally have thousands that would tell you it gives them peace of mind. Oh, that's not AFib. Or, oh yes, that's the rhythm I'm normally in. Mm-hmm. And and that feeling of control when many of these people, their disease process has made them feel that they're not in control. I can tell you, I've heard the term peace of mind and I've been thanked so many times. I'm kind of embarrassed. And, um, you know, uh that's equally as important. What we did bring to patients as what we bring to healthcare providers.
0: Has that has that impact on patients? That particular impact been a part of any of the clinical studies that you referenced?
1: Oh, absolutely. We 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 are. Uh, you know, there are a number of providers who who have integrated the patient outcomes and and surveys and into their studies and and are doing so on ongo- in an ongoing manner. I think uh, you know. I think everybody understands now doctors don't live in isolation anymore. There's this thing called health grades. Yelp is just as important to doctors as it is to the, uh, the burger joint down the street.
0: Sure. Interesting. So I'm going to close off with a, a final question. I, this time has gone very, very quickly because I have about a thousand more, but when we were off, Mike, you talked about an important part of your role being, um, focused on ongoing clinical research, both for validation, but also to keep focused on what's really going to be relevant uh, in terms of the, the, the future, whether it's indications or new products or add-ons. Can you talk a little bit about how you manage that process, how you ascertain relevance? What goes, in, what goes into that process for you? Well, first of all,
1: I do not have a monopoly on good ideas. That's a good thing. <laughs> and I'm old enough to understand that I better keep my ears open and my mouth shut many times. So we have people coming to us who've taken our device and seen it and applied it in a way I never would have thought of.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and that I need to be open to those things and I need to be supportive of those things because they may become the next monitoring AFib application. And so sure. I have to be a facilitator, a coach a cheerleader and make sure I don't lose sight of what could be the potential of some new application. So mm-hmm. that's, I do that all the time. And unfortunately, it keeps me on the road sometimes. But uh, again, I got a lot of old friends. Uh, well, no, I'm old, but I have a lot of friends <laughs> and, they, uh, and, and, and they're very smart, creative people. And so I, uh, I lean on them for uh, what may be the future of AliveCore and, and it's a bright future.
0: Now, that's really exciting. I am so grateful for you spending the time with us, Dave. Um, if people are looking to get more information about AliveCore or thinking about, you know, does my dad need this? Do I need this? Where would you suggest that they go? Where Where should they uh, look for that kind of information?
1: Well, the great source is, is uh, our website, www.alivecore.com. And we mm-hmm. have research, we have Uh, all our associated materials that then you can even order the product from there. I mean, it's also available on Amazon and and, uh, in Best Buys and CVS's and some Walgreens. So it's, it's easily available. Um, I I think for those who are seriously interested, there are a number of patient advocacy sites that are on Facebook and other places where they have people who were happy to tell you their personal stories of a live core. And so I would, I would, you know, I'd say follow up, uh, do your due diligence, do your research, and uh, we'd love to have it anyone new as a customer.
0: Fantastic. Dave, thanks so much for being here with us on Datapoint today. I uh, am excited to watch where what the future holds for AliveCorp.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Greg.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Datapoint podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Chimose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time.